Well, I'm happy to introduce Mark Rodenbush. Uh, Mark uh, and his family have been attending here uh, for about, I think, the last 10 years. And about a year ago, uh, decided to get involved in ministry in China. And we'll let Mark tell you about it. Good morning, everybody. Well, that was pretty good compared to Dan, so. <laughs> You're awake now, yeah. Um, well, I hope you guys had a good Christmas. Um, Christmas is always kind of a crazy time in my family. We travel a lot and do a lot of, a lot of back and forth. Um, but after Christmas, it's always kind of a weird time, I feel like. You've spent a lot of time preparing, getting ready for the Christmas uh, celebration, and then all of a sudden, it, it comes and goes so quickly um, that you feel like, uh, that was it? What happened? And then, then you feel like uh, there's this time in between now and New Year's. You, some people get some time off and get to relax. But as I think about dealing with kind of what happens with the post-Christmas, some people get some post-Christmas blues, and some people are, are just excited about the new year. But I, there, there's a couple things that always seem to happen the week after Christmas. One of those things is that... Um, the gift that you bought someone a couple weeks before now goes on a drastic sale and you've just spent entirely too much money and so you feel a little depressed about that. Um, another thing that, that at least for me and my brother-in-laws, uh, what, what we always do is we always seem to say that we're never going to eat like that again. Um, I don't know, if you saw a picture on Facebook from my wife Kelly, um, the amount of desserts that we had at our table were enough to feed uh, apparently a whole parade or a whole army. So um, then you also move from being excited about getting the mail every day because you get Christmas cards from people you haven't seen in probably a year or haven't <laughs> seen a picture of. And you get to catch up on people. And then all of a sudden you move to dread of the mail coming because you know that credit card bill is eventually going to arrive <laughs> in your mailbox and you have to then pay for Christmas. Um, but the fourth thing that always seems to happen the, the week after Christmas is that I seem to preach. Um, so, <laughs> um, like Dan said, my, my name is Mark Roddenbush. My wife Kelly and I uh, have been members at GVF for about 10 years or so. I, I really can't remember how long anymore. Uh, it's been a while. Uh, we've been in Phoenixville for the last 11 or 12 and have been coming to GVF for a good amount of that time. And uh, about four years ago, uh, my wife and I uh, brought home our daughter from China, and uh, through that adoption process, really transformed our lives. And we started an organization called the Sparrow Fund. And uh, it was a ministry to, to serve adoptive families, and that has grown quite a bit. And then um, about a year and a half ago, I quit uh, my 18-year career in financial services and went on staff with Young Life to serve um, to work with um, university students in China to share the gospel with students there. And so uh, me and my family live in Phoenixville. Um, we do a lot of work here. We do a lot of traveling back and forth in China, and we serve there. Um, but to be honest, this is only my second time preaching the, the, the week after Christmas. It's usually, I mean, you know how it goes. One time is kind of something new, and then the second time it becomes a tradition and expected. So we'll see what happens next year. Um, but it really only took a free lunch from Lucas to convince me to come and do this. <laughs> so, but I'm, I'm happy to fill in for uh, Paul and Lucas. Um, those guys do a lot of work for us, and I am really grateful for the way that they serve and the way that they desire um, to engage us with the gospel so that we're transformed by the love of God. And so they do a fantastic job. 
Um, they have a really busy season between September and, and this time of year. And then as soon as the new year comes in, they get, they get really busy again. And so it, it's just nice to have them get away and recharge their batteries. Um, but it just so happens, I found a picture of Paul on Facebook. There he is on vacation. Um, so uh, it looks like he's resting in his Christmas pajamas. That, that's probably where he's sitting in the sun. He's reading a book. It's probably, you know, it's probably some trashy romantic novel, I would imagine, <laughs> knowing Paul, right? Um, but those guys work really hard, and it's just an honor to be able to give them some time off, especially during the Christmas season, and, and be with their family and friends. Um, although the, the problem is, is that they are from Dallas, and I, if they make any comments the rest of the next couple of weeks about the Cowboys, I, I think the elders have will give us permission to just either tackle them or throw something at them. So, um, but it is great to be with you this morning. And even though Christmas is over, um, we still have a chance to celebrate the meaning of Christmas and understand the impact that Jesus had when he came to this earth. So that's what we want to do this morning again. We want to look at Jesus. We want to see um, what this gospel means and how it can transform our lives. Um, So before I do that, though— I do want to highlight our pastors again. Uh, Earlier this fall, Paul and Lucas did a sermon series called Rooted. I don't know if you guys remember this. It was just a a couple-week sermon series. Uh, And it was focused on how we grow in Christ. And it was really meaningful. It was really challenging. It was really centered around the gospel and how that transforms us. But one particular sermon that really stood out, uh, Paul's sermon on October 7th called Money, God, and Your Heart, was really, really good. Um, there's a part in it that I actually took a little clip that I wanted to share with you guys. So if you could play that real quick. We, the elders of GVF, actually have a goal in this next year that we want to move more and more towards you individually supporting our missionaries, our global missionaries. Do you know why? Because we're hoping to tie your heart to God's global mission. That's what we want. We want you to personally tie your heart. Not just us as a church doing it. We want you to find a missionary that you love, that you connect with, that you're going to send your money to every month. And every month that tether is going to strengthen. So, um, did I mention I'm one of GVF's missionaries? Did you, did you hear what he said? If you, is this, can we get the slide back up there? So we want you to find a mission that you love and connect with and are going to, be you, going to send your money to every month. So I'm one of those missionaries. I am thinking about just playing that loop, that 30-second clip over and over for the next 30 minutes. And then I will be standing at the back of the door with some information on how to give. Is that, would that be okay? No? Maybe that's a little too strong. Um, what I love about Paul and Lucas and especially our elders is that they have a heart— um, for us to engage Christ. They want us to be able to know and to love and to serve and to be ministered to by the Holy Spirit, that we may be in a better relationship with him. And uh, it's just one of the great things of why we keep coming back and why we, we talk about this church, about how great this church is, is because of the heart that our elders and our pastors have for the gospel. And that's what I want to talk about t- today. I, I want to move into that topic and, and, and discuss something about why does grace and mercy sometimes make us feel really uncomfortable? And I think that's kind of a, a weird statement because we all love receiving mercy and grace. We, we love the concept 
of, of being poured out on and being shown mercy and grace, especially when we don't need it. And I think um, it, it, when we think about it, it's, why should it make us uncomfortable? And, I, and sometimes I don't even think that we understand that it is making us uncomfortable. Um, there, there's a couple things I want to do today. I kind of our goal for this morning is, um, one is I want to help us recognize why we're uncomfortable with this idea that, that God is showing us grace and mercy. And then I want to remind us of the truth of the gospel. Because it, once we hear that over and over again, it should never get old to us because it is the good news that gives us life. And so, and then the third thing is that I want to walk, I want us to walk away today really basking in the in God's love as he demonstrates us, demonstrates that to us through Jesus with his love and his grace. So that's what I want to accomplish today. Um, it, it's, it, it's something that I've, I've really felt strongly about in terms of dealing with God's grace in my life because it, it, sometimes I find it very difficult. Okay, so it's 2007 and it's in Iran. So about seven years ago in the country of Iran, um, I'd say close your eyes and imagine that, but you, uh, for me, I have no idea what that looks like. Uh, we just hear stories and we hear about this country, but it, it is, there's a 19-year-old man walking down the street, and somehow he gets into an argument with a 17-year-old. That argument escalates, and then all of a sudden they get into a fight, and uh, somehow the 19-year-old has a kitchen knife. Who knows where he got it or what happened, but he ends up stabbing that 17-year-old and kills him. Um, the 19-year-old had, had no intention of killing this boy. Uh, you, you know, the, the family understands that. The victim family even understands that. But the victim's family is mourning. She says that her life has been a nightmare um, since, this, since losing her son. And also the killer's family is a mess. They know that they're eventually going to lose their son as well. So I don't, I don't understand the details of Iranian law, but apparently this 19-year-old spends the next seven years in prison. And this past April, uh, it was time for him to, um, to pay for his crime. And so now this young man at, at, at 26 years old um, is now going to be hanged in front of a crowd. And so they bring him out. Um, he's got a, a, a black bag over his head. He's got a noose around his neck. And they bring him out to, I guess, the town square where there's a bunch of people. And um, his mother is on the ground mourning so hard that she can't move any longer because she knows she's going to lose her son over this altercation that happened seven years ago that they had no intention of, of escalating that high. So he's brought out. Uh, they say he's screaming and praying loudly, and then all of a sudden it goes completely quiet. And it's the moments before he's supposed to be hung. And um, the victim's mother calls for a chair, and um, they bring it out. She puts it in front of this man, and she climbs up on the chair, and she ends up becoming face-to-face with this guy. He's got a bag over his head. He has no idea what's going on. And the mother, uh, the victim's mother, ends up slapping the man on the face and just declares the word forgiven. And then right after that happens, the family, the victim's family, um, takes the noose off of this man's head and takes the bag off of his head, and he's allowed to get down. And um, I have no idea what, you know, knowing, not knowing anything about that law or what it lo- looks like or wh- why that's happening. But apparently the, the, the victim's family has the ba- power to forgive this man and set him free. And so um, could you imagine being that man? 
I mean, you are being brought out. These are the last moments. You have your family uh, wailing and mourning at your feet. You have uh, the victim's family really upset and probably have been looking forward to this day for seven years to finally get uh, the justice that their son deserved. And now he all of a sudden uh, gets slapped in the face. I'm not sure what—he probably thinks this is the last insult before he goes. Um, and then all of a sudden he hears the word forgiven. And then he's brought down from the hangman, hangman's noose, and he's allowed to be free. And so there's this demonstration of mercy from this victim's mother that um, is pretty unbelievable. And as he walks away, think about it from the, the victim's standpoint. He, he should receive that and just be so grateful for that. But I can understand that there might be a little bit of a sense of being uncomfortable with it. Because now all of a sudden, do I have to pay this woman back? Do I have to, do I have to live a certain life to, to own up to this and to, and to earn this? Do I have to do I have to live a certain way or do it's really uncomfortable because I should be getting something I deserve which is death according to that law but I don't and now all of a sudden what do I do with that can I really freely accept it and and think about it from the the victim's family standpoint what if the rest of the victim's family doesn't even know that the mother's going to do this and all of a sudden he's down and he's free the other family would be like hey I love grace and mercy when it applies to me but this guy deserves death he took our son away he took my brother or took my, my nephew or who, you know, whatever relation. They are upset about that. And now all of a sudden this idea of grace and mercy is not so great. And I'm uncomfortable with it. And so um, it, it can be an uncomfortable circumstance when we don't understand it in the right light. So let's take that, step of, let's take that story even a step further. Let's imagine that this victim's family says, uh, not only do we forgive you and, 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 and wipe out the punishment that you deserve, you actually are also allowed to come into our home and we're going to treat you like a son now. Everything that we had to give to our son, uh, we're now going to give to you and we're going to treat you like, like one of the family. And, uh, you know, you're going to get our inheritance or the family business or whatever the benefits and blessings that we had lined up for him, now you're going to get. And, uh, you know, you know, if this is a poor family, that might not be that big of a deal. It might be very odd and uncomfortable. But what if this family was, was wealthy? Uh, what if this family was super wealthy, like, you know, uh, Bill Gates kind of wealthy? That is really uncomfortable. Imagine the man saying, listen, I deserve death. I deserve not to be here, but you've, you've given me freedom. And now all of a sudden, I forgot to show the picture of this family. Um, so the woman... Uh, with the tissue is the victim's mother and um, the other woman is 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 the son who was freed where she you know laying prostrate on the ground now jumps up and thanks this mother the, the pictures that were shown I was looking through CNN they have you know the year in review and they show all these amazing pictures of the things that happened and this cameraman catches this this scene of this um, this great mercy that is shown to her son and the way that she's thankful so, like I was saying, what, what, if, what if it takes a, another step further and, and now not just, no, they don't just show mercy and, and taking something away that they deserve, but they're actually giving something that he hasn't earned. That he starts getting all of this wealth. Um, that can be really uncomfortable. People would, would see that and say, that's not fair, it's not right. Um, the, 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 even even the, the, um, the killer would, would think, 
I don't deserve any of this. I feel really, really, he would have to live a certain way. He feels obligated and he has no idea why that would feel that way. But he shouldn't have been spared and he shouldn't be treated like a son. But when we look at that story, we look at this part of the story and as we think about that, uh, that what if that happened, that's the extended story that God has done for us. And so this is the verse I want us to look at. Um, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourself. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. We have been saved by grace. We haven't been saved from ourselves. We don't contribute to that salvation. Uh, It's all a gift from God, and there's no real work on our side that allows us to contribute to that salvation. And that, that could be uncomfortable. Why is that so hard to deal with? Why? That, that should be awesome news. We, we don't have to do anything because God has done all the work and he has given us this gift of salvation. And uh, even the faith that we have is not even our own. That should be wonderful news. Um, but it seems like we can be uncomfortable about that. We as Americans think that we can do anything. We're the greatest people in the greatest country in the greatest portion of time in, in all of the history of the world. And we'd love to boast and we love to tell the world about what we do. Uh, and in this day and age, uh, it, it's perfect for us. We have Instagram and Facebook and, you know, all of the resumes and LinkedIn. We'd love to share about how wonderful we are. You know, I, I wish that, that my life was a string of all the Facebook posts that I saw over the last couple of weeks of how wonderful the preparation of Christmas time is. I would have the perfect house and the perfect wife and the perfect kids and the perfect presents. We see that and we just love to look at that and say, this is how wonderful that where I am and who I am and what I've accomplished and what everything that I've done. Or even on LinkedIn. Have, have you guys, are you guys on LinkedIn? This is a really weird. I read people's resumes on LinkedIn and I think that they are the most important person in that company that has ever lived. I read their descriptions and I think, wow, they, that's amazing. Because, and even if I look back on my LinkedIn of the jobs that I've done over the years, I think, wow, I must have been a really important person. And then I remember, wait, I just sat and was on conference calls on the phone all day and seemingly like didn't get anything accomplished or I just looked at a bunch of spreadsheets. But we love to build ourselves up to say, this is how awesome that we are. And um, we want to remind not only ourselves and the people around us, but we want to remind God of it as well. We want to remind him that we're worth saving, that the kingdom's a better place because of us being there. And I think it's really difficult for us to be able to be comfortable with the fact that God gives us a free gift. And um, because we want to be a part of that solution. We want to be a part of that equation. And we want to be a part of this process of being saved. And so for us to be comfortable with God's grace and mercy, we need to be reminded about what true grace and mercy from the Lord is all about. And um, so this is the story. This is the story of, of where we are. So Romans 1, that's a little small for you guys to read, um, 21 through 28. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave, him thanks, to, or gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged their, the glory of the immortal gods for images made to look like mortal men and birds and animals and reptiles. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped the served created things rather than the creator 
Since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, he gave them over to a depraved mind to do what ought not to be done. And then Romans 3.23, it says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So this is what happened to us. We, you know, the story of the garden, Adam and Eve, the first sin that happened, um, they broke their relationship with God, and as a result, sin entered the world and, and, and messed up everything. It messed up, uh, it gave us this condition. We have a broken relationship with God. We have a broken relationship with others. We have a broken relationship with ourselves. And instead of being in a relationship with our God, our creator, we've turned ourselves inward. And we've decided to put ourselves on the throne. Um, we've all sinned and fall way short of what God has called us to do. And now we're in this, in this state of, I'm not doing what I was designed to do. And so a lot of people say, uh, you know, people's reaction could be, okay, so no big deal. I can live my life and God can live his and we could be just fine. But God created the rules. He's the one that created the, the, the universe. He created us. He designed it a specific way. And what waits for us, unfortunately, are these passages in Roman where it says, um, but because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you or we are storing up wrath against ourselves for the day of God's wrath. When his righteous judgment will be revealed, God will give to each person according to what he has done. And in Romans 6, 26, it says, for the wages of sin is death. So what ends up happening is, is that we're in, this, we're in this condition of not being able to be in a relationship with God because of our rebellion. And sin has entered the world and has broken us. And so basically the, for the wages of sin is death. We deserve death. Uh, and because of God's wrath, the way that he's designed it, he said, I cannot allow disobedience. This is, it has to be paid for. Unlike the situation in Iran where the woman was able to forgive and just say, it's forgiven and, and, and let him free. The problem with that story is, is that he still killed a man. And, and, and someone, needs to be, someone needs to take the punishment for that. That is not right. And so um, typically, I, I feel like we have two thoughts around this when we start to think about it. We usually say, hey, we're not all that bad. I mean, I'm not as bad as that guy over there. You know, uh, I'm not as bad as my neighbor or that person. And we end up saying, well, it, I'll start to do some good things to make sure my good outweighs the bad. And in the end, I'll be okay. The problem is, is that we're still, we still have this problem, that we're still broken from God. No matter what we do to clean ourselves up, um, we're, we're not going to fill that gap. And so uh, the other side is, the other thought that we end up having is that we need to, we need to clean ourselves up and we're going to do everything right. Not just, oh, I'll be better than the average person, so that'll get me in. It's, I'm going to do everything right and I'll be able to do it. And what ends up happening then is that, um, as we read in the next verses in Romans 3.10 and Romans 3.20, it says, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have become, they have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. And in Romans 3.20, therefore, no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. So this is the tough part. We are stuck. There is nothing that we can do to make up for the transgressions against God. And we're on a crash course for punishment and condemnation. 
This is a real cheery verse right after Christmas, huh? This is, <laughs> this is a great story right after Christmas. But this is where we are. We, we, sin has entered the world. We've become broken from God. Um, that, that brokenness, that, that disobedience requires punishment. And, there, and we're in a, in a place that we can't fix it. The, the tough part in Romans 3 is that all have turned away. All have become worthless. There is no one who's, who does good, not even one. That there is no one. We can't do it. Once we come to the fact of uh, understand those facts, as Scripture lays it out to us in Romans, as Paul lays this out, this, this, um, this explanation of the gospel, as we read this, we, we get overwhelmed. Because there, if we really understand this, that there is nothing that we can do to fix this relationship. But the great thing about it, and as we celebrate it through uh, the Christmas, is that Jesus entered the world to become part of that, to become that solution for us. The great words in Scripture where it, where it reads all these different things and all of a sudden it'll say, but God. There's something that God has done. The reason why we celebrate Christmas, which eventually points us to Easter, it says in Romans 5, 6, and 8, you see, at just the right time, while we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And then in Romans 8, 1, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He did something about the problem. He came to solve it. The problem that we couldn't deal with, and quite frankly, we weren't even interested in fixing. He came down in the person of Jesus and lived the life that we should have lived, and he died the death that we deserved. When God awakens us to this truth, and he opens our eyes to the situation and we end up placing our faith and our trust in him. He absorbs all that punishment that we deserve. And then he gives us an inheritance of eternal life that only Jesus really deserves. And so now all of a sudden we have this mercy that what we deserved from death has now been absorbed by Jesus who died on the cross for us. And not only that, but then he gives the, the righteous life that Jesus lived, that that. that allows him to be able to sit on the right hand of, of God the Father. He says, now I, I've deserved all this, this inheritance that is now mine. I'm, I'm freely giving it to you. And so this story, this, this story of Jesus is so much greater than the mother in Iran. She forgives the man, but the, the crime still wasn't paid for. And, um, and, and now Jesus is able to share that, um, that this is what it looks like to have real grace and mercy. And so why do we feel uncomfortable with God's grace and mercy? Um, we don't want him to do everything for us. We want to be part of the solution. We want our awesomeness to create this, this reason for God to save us. Um, we want to feel important, not based on his love for us, but we want to be important because of what we accomplish or who we are. It's a struggle that every, every one of us has. For those who don't really know who Jesus is all about. For those who have been walking with Jesus for 30 years or 40 years or 50 years, we struggle with this idea is that we must be really important. We must be able to contribute to it. And when we hear this idea that God freely gives to us, we get uncomfortable. We, we think that we should be able to bring something to the table. But yet God wants us to understand that 
what he's giving is all about him. Here's a story that, that I want to share with you guys that, that hopefully give you a little better understanding of this truth. Um, February this past year, my wife Kelly and a team um, went to serve in an orphanage in China. And uh, during Kelly's time there, the, the, the trips to the orphanage, uh, part of the work that we do with the Sparrow Fund, um, this really came up really unexpectedly, but we had this opportunity to go serve in actually our daughter's old orphanage. And um, so Kelly put the, a team together. Uh, it, it goes over for a couple different reasons. One is just to care for the kids. The, these kids who have been abandoned and are now in an orphanage setting, living in an institutionalized setting, and sometimes the, some of the kids are in foster care as well. But they need to be cared for. And so uh, God calls us to do that, and, and we've been uh, privileged to be able to go and serve. Um, and one of the other things that we, we do, two other things that we do, is one is we not only serve the children, but we also serve the staff that are there. These are uh, mostly women who serve, um, and they need to hear about Jesus as well, and we want to be able to equip them with uh, skills to take care of the, stu- uh, the, the children that are there, but also to be able to show them uh, Christ's love as we interact with them. And the, and the last thing that Kelly's able to do is she's able to advocate for some of these kids, which basically means uh, we find out about children that are, that are there, we bring information home, and we start to share and advocate on their behalf, looking for a family that would be interested in coming uh, to make them part of their family. And so uh, during this week, Kelly's uh, um, being with the staff, and uh, she gets introduced um, to this little girl here. She's uh, seven or eight at the time, I think seven at the time, back in February. Um, She's in foster care, and uh, she has really significant problems with her eyesight. She has trouble seeing um, quite a bit, and as a result, she hasn't learned to read or write at all. Um, And so this is where she is. She's been abandoned. She's now living in this orphanage uh, in a foster family, but really no hopes of a permanent family. Um, She's eight years old, which is really old to be adopted. Um, it's hard to find families that are willing to come over for older kids like that. She's got significant issues with her eyesight. She can't even read or write Mandarin, let alone English. Um, and now all of a sudden she meets this Western, strange-looking Western person and is now asked to perform in front of my wife, Kelly, because they want to show off what she's like so Kelly can go back and advocate. And this poor little girl just breaks down and cries. Um, so... This is a tough assignment to deal with and to know that this little girl needs a home. Uh, and so while Kelly's still there at the, at the orphanage, she, before she's able to do anything, they find out that someone has said yes to her and they want to bring her home as, as, as their daughter. And so, which is great news because um, now Kelly's able to collect information about her. Uh, she comes home um, and they connect online. Kelly finds out who this, this family is and is able to share all this great information, share pictures and everything else. And the family's just elated that, that she now has a connection with someone who's actually met this little girl and gets to hear some information about her. So as Kelly is preparing to go back in October to take another team, uh, the family says, send this care package uh, to our daughter. And uh, so they go over there, and Kelly had the chance, and I know that she has shared this story with with many of you already, and I know some of you in the room have met this little girl. Um, But during that time, she was able to present this little girl with a care package with information about her family. And she got to see her mom and dad and her brothers and sisters, and she got to hear her new name, which is Lucy Joy. And so... um, 
she's completely excited about this idea. She gets to be, go home with the family. She gets to hear her, her, her new name. All of the other kids come around, and instead of being uh, upset or jealous, they are excited with her because she know, they know that, that she's going to have a family. And they get to celebrate with her. And so earlier this month, the family came for her. Uh, it, it, they went to China, they traveled to China, and now she has a family. Uh, that's her dad now, and uh, her sister is in the corner of the picture there. This is while they were there um, in China. And now she is being held by her father, and now she has a family uh, to call her own, and they're going to love her no matter what. Um, for those who believe and trust in Jesus as our Savior and Lord, this is our story. It doesn't match up perfectly theologically. I'm not t- saying that, that this particular story is exactly what happens in every level. But you get the idea that this little girl had no future. She was abandoned. She did not have a family. And she did nothing to earn her parents' love for her. Her parents decided, this is my girl. This is the one that I'm going to bring into my family, and she's not going to contribute to any of that. She's not going to say, oh, she's coming with a lot of money. She's coming with this wonderful personality and all these great things to to contribute to my family. They said, I don't care if uh, she's eight years old and can't read or write, and we're not going to be able to communicate with her because all she knows is Mandarin and all we know is English. I can't even bring flashcards to show her some some characters for her to understand because she can't even read or write. This is going to be hard. I don't care if I have to spend a lot of money. I don't care if I have to travel around the world. I don't care what it does to our family in terms of bringing someone new into our family. This is my girl, and I love her. She did nothing to earn that status of daughter. The parents said, she is mine. Just like us. We are dead in our sin. We cannot even move to God because we, we consider him an enemy because of the sin in our life. And God says, while we were still sinners, he died for us. The faith that we have is not even our own. He enables us for us to believe and to trust and to, and to put our faith into him. And he rewards us for doing nothing. And I'm not equating uh, this family to the way God loves because they're going to bring this daughter home and they're going to they're going to love her and they're going to they're going to they're going to struggle because when you bring a, a a girl who's eight years old from an institution in your home, there's going to be struggle and challenge and and the parents aren't going to be perfect. But it demonstrates the 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 desire for this family to come and say, "You are mine, no matter what." And it's a picture of what God does. It's not a perfect picture, but it's a wonderful picture of God's grace and mercy to us. And so, um, I hope you get that. I hope you get to see that understanding of where we are by looking at the scripture in Romans and to say, this is who we were. This is where we were in our life. And God demonstrates it because we get to experience that at Christmas and as we point to Easter and as we see that he died for our sin and took the punishment, I hope that we're able to understand that. He is a God that is, is defined by his grace, love, and mercy. He longs to demonstrate for that. He delights in pouring that out over us. He wants us to stop struggling to prove ourselves because we can't. It's never going to be enough. We can't live the life to please him. 
But Jesus has, and for some crazy reason, he wants us to receive all the benefit that Jesus deserves. And so, even for a crazier reason, we don't want it sometimes. And this isn't just for our salvation, for us to enter into God's kingdom, but it's for our Christian life. Everything that we do, his grace and mercy is enabling us to do it. We don't even have to do anything. It's there for, for, for us for all the time. For those who are just becoming a believer or those who've been walking with them their entire life, it is God doing the work in us. And he wants to show us that grace and mercy because of how wonderful and loving and caring and gracious and merciful that he is. And we get to be a part of that. Okay, so application time. Usually this is the part of the sermon where we talk about how do we do this? How do we take the next steps? How do we figure out um, what it means to, um, to put our faith in him? And how are we supposed to trust in him? And how are we supposed to receive this grace and mercy and, and, and make ourselves less and God more? I... And this is a perfect time for it. I mean, it is New Year's. We're going to make all kinds of resolutions and we're going to become super Christians over the next couple months because of this sermon and uh, all the things that we get to do from this. But this is what I want you to do. I want you to do nothing. That's my application. I don't want you to do anything because we spend a lot of time trying to prove ourselves to God and to pay him back and to say, I don't deserve this, but I'm going to, I'm going to do everything that I can to pay you back and, and show you that I'm really worth it. If that's the way that we think, we've missed the point. We, we don't deserve it. But God demonstrates his love for us by dying for us. And so um, what I want us to do is to walk out being refreshed by this good news. That I don't have to do anything to earn or prove God's love. He is, he's not going to love us. He's not going to love some future version of you better than, you lo- than he loves you right now. You don't have to get to a point of saying, I've cleaned up my life and I fixed everything and all the mess that I was in. Uh, he's going to love me better then. No, he loves you right now the way that you are. And he wants to extend his grace and mercy to, mercy to you right now. And so that, that's, that's what I want us to do. I, all I want us to do is, is to walk out holding up Jesus to say, I, I cannot believe how gracious and loving he is. Because if he does that, if we do that, as we walk out and we just hold him up high and to just, just bask in the glory that of where we were, what Christ has done, and what he's calling us to, God's Spirit's going to transform us. All of, the, all of the New Year's resolutions that we make to become better Christians are, are just going to fall to the side. When we're able to enjoy and to know and to bask in God's goodness, that's where life change comes. All right, so let me, let me see if I accomplished the goal. I showed an embarrassing picture of Paul in his pajamas. I shamelessly asked for money. And during the application, I told you to go and do nothing. So I think that I might accomplish the goal that I won't be invited to speak again next uh, Sunday after Christmas. <laughs> um, but the goal is, is that we're able to celebrate that the love of God and in Jesus Christ, to sink deep in our hearts that we no longer have to strive to be better. That he does the work in us and he can transform us into the people that he desires, desires us to be. And just in the same way that, that we have done nothing to become saved, 
because he does all the work, it's the same thing in our Christian life. We are not contributing. He is doing the work in us because of his grace and love. He's provided the atonement for sin. He's provided the blessing of eternal life. And he even provides the faith faith for us to believe because we need it. And so what I want us to do as we walk out of here is just enjoy the fact that our God is a loving, gracious, and merciful God. And if we focus on that, all the stuff that we struggle with and all the things that we need to do and all the things that we feel like we have to do, God will start to work in us and start to produce that fruit. It's a different sermon to talk about what does that look like and and the the fruit that happens and everything else. But the idea is, is that are we just basking in God's grace? And are we being transformed by it? Because if that happens and as we walk away just praising God for the work that he's done in us, he's going to take care of the rest. Because we aren't good enough to be able to do it. You know, for, for me, after 43 years of life, you would think that I would have gotten that message, and I need to hear it every day. Every day I need to hear about, this, about how God is gracious and loving to me and allow that to transform me instead of me saying, I'm going to do all these things and make myself a better Christian. It just doesn't work. So let's rejoice in that fact. Let us, let us keep that, uh, that excitement that we had for Christmas as we celebrate his coming, knowing that it is for, for him to come is to live the life that we should have lived. And then as we point to Easter, we get to recognize that he died the death that we deserved. And not only that, he, he was raised again and he gives us this inheritance that we don't deserve. Let us really bask in that. 